Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith, coming up on the show. We have a lot to get to. It's been a few days. We'll recap the World Series and what was the turning point in the game. Who made the biggest mistake? Also, get the speed on NFL, NCAA, and a look at HBCU. So stay tuned to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. That show is coming up next. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And here we have a lot to catch up on. You know, it's been a few days, kind of let the dust settle, but ongoing talk is we had a World Series we crowned a champion it's been 32 years or it's been since 1988 yes the Los Angeles Dodgers are the 2020 World Series champions So how can we just sum this all up? All you have to do is reflect back and remember where you was at when you heard the news that Los Angeles sports poster child Kobe Bryant was in a helicopter crash that took the life of him and his daughter Gigi. If you're in the LA market, your heart, and if you're a real LA sports fan, your heart really just like sunk. You feel like you got gut punched. Like, I mean, I'm here in Wichita, Kansas, and when I heard the news, I'm like, no, nah, that can't. And before you know it, it was the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media feed you had. I mean, it was the it was during the Masters, and they broke for a pause, a moment of silence. I mean, it was it that spread like wildfire. So now we fast forward. First, Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA title and now you have the Los Angeles Dodgers the LA Dodgers so you lose your sports poster child and you gain two championships you couldn't have scripted this any better So, let's talk about, let's just get to that final game and talk about one of the turning points because there were plenty that had something to say about it. Wilbon, can you defend what Cash did? No. 
And I don't want to hear anybody else try and defend it either. Because some things are just indefensible. And this is one of them. Tony, I, I'm offended by what I saw last night. Just as somebody who grew up on baseball, whose first love in sport was baseball, who played baseball, who pitched. I think it's just offensive. So numbers are so important to you, Kevin Cash, that you can't use your eyes, which are supposed to be professionally trained and steeled, and you've been a bench coach and a manager, you've done all these things, and you don't know when you need to leave a guy alone. You want to take the game away from the players, take the game away from a starting pitcher who's lights out, who the, the other team is now not afraid of, but going, oh, my God, they're shaking their heads. And you don't have this baseball sense in you to leave him alone and ride your good fortune to have this guy go in this well. You're not playing lifetime achievement. You're playing the damn game tonight. Right. Use right. your eyes right. and your sense of everything. This is your livelihood. I don't care what he did last week. This guy has given up one hard hit ball, maybe a second hard hit ball. All right. So, yes, you got what you're saying, too, about bringing a guy in who's been lit up lately. I, I don't want to go that far. I don't care who he had going, warming up. You have got a guy on the mound that has the other people in the other dugout. And if you're a manager, the kind we know, you're watching them, too. And they are shaking their heads when they walk back to the, from right. the plate to the dugout. He has stymied them. If you are not smart enough, if all you're doing is playing probability, Tony, then go work at the wind in Vegas. I don't want to see you near a baseball diamond. Last night. So. That's just one of the many takes. So the question is. Kevin Cash isn't getting no grief, none whatsoever. And from the sounds of it, he doesn't deserve it. And I always believed in this philosophy right here. You made it to the dance. So why change ladies? Stick with the lady that got you to the dance. Or how about this philosophy? If it isn't broke, it doesn't need fixing. So, Kevin Cash, let me ask, what were you thinking? Even in basketball term, terminology, you may have a star player on the team, but it's the guy with the hot hand that's keeping your team in the game, or it's the guy with the hot hand that's the reason your team is winning. So, do you still want that star player to have the ball in his hands? Most people may say yes but a lot of people will also say this stick with the man with the hot hand he's got you this far you better put your confidence in him it was quite obvious when they brought Snell out of the game that he was very highly upset like what are you doing I mean this this move looks so Fixated. And I'm not saying that the game was fixed. I'm not saying that. But you may as well say that Tampa Bay gave that game to the Dodgers. Like Eric, like like you just heard him say, hey, they were stymied, they were baffled, they couldn't figure him out. He had his, as they say, he had his mojo going. 
Yes, I know baseball is a numbers game. They say, okay, he's about to face these guys a third time. Sometimes guys do figure it out. But until then, why not play? Why not have the mentality of smash mouth football and baseball? Anybody know what smash mouth football is? Smash mouth football is a throwback to the old days where we're going to run the ball. We're going to run left. We're going to run right. We're going to run middle. And we're going to keep on running until you stop us. And even if you do stop us a few times, guess what? We're going to still run the ball because there's nothing you can do to stop us. Sometimes in baseball, Coach Cash, you have to throw the numbers game out and have a smash mouth mentality. The other thing that is gathering some news there was a celebration yes there was a celebration and that celebration is causing a lot of controversy. Here's another cleaning tip from Mr. Clean. Cleaning tip. And the reason this celebration is causing controversy is very simple. Apparently, there was some protocol that was broken. <laughs> Justin Turner. Searching for a new Ram? Well, good news. The search is over. Justin Turner, who was taken from the game because of a positive coronavirus test, was later seen celebrating with his teammates without mask. Yes, let me say that again. Some of you are listening to this and your jaw just dropped like what did you just say? Yes, Justin Turner. Was removed from the game. Because a positive coronavirus test. Mind you, he played the game. Ended up being removed from the game. 
later celebrated with teammates and no one seemed to care without mask. In other words, protocol was broken. So now the question is, was this a Dodger thing? Was this an MLB thing? Is there anything Major League Baseball can do about it? I'm pretty sure Major League Baseball will address the issue. But now it's also said that Justin Turner, what, 35 years old? He just lived in the moment. He know he's going to be getting a ring. You can try to suspend him. And he can one-up you. He said, you know what? I got what I wanted. I'm satisfied with my career. I'll retire. Major League Baseball, there's nothing you can do about it. So how do you feel about that? Yes, that audio you heard was from the celebration. And you've seen Justin Turner sitting between key components of the L.A. Dodgers top brass. So let's get into that right now. Because that's the big talk going on right now. As we pull this up. And first of all, you know, I have to know this is a guy that can sometimes rub people the wrong way. But Stephen A. Smith has something to say about this, and then we'll get into this. My understanding is that he went into the game, he played the first seven innings. At that particular moment in time, he was informed. He took the pot. That's the information. So guess what? But in my vantage point, as a 12-year veteran in Major League Baseball, Seven years with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've been around these dudes, not just yesterday, not just the day before, not just the week before, but that night for the first seven innings. We've been in a dugout. We've been playing and stuff like that. And I'm two innings away from winning a World Series championship. You know what? You told me I can't play. All right? I'm not playing. But to me, I'm going to put on a mask. And, and even if I have to engage in social distancing while doing so, I'm going to be on that damn field receiving that adulation, those applause and everything like that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to engage in social distancing. My wife, who I was with, I'm assuming that if it's me, it's both of us at that particular moment in time, which I think, and I think they made that decision. There's no way on earth that he was informed of that and taken out of the game and didn't inform his wife of what of what the situation was. So she's out there on that field with him. So, okay, so she's fully aware of what's transpiring. Again, I don't condone him taking off the mask and taking the team pictures with his mask off or anything like that. But in terms of everything you work for, how the Dodgers have not won a World Series since 88, how this moment in time, that level of adulation, you don't get to repeat it. It may never happen again because it escaped you the last 32 years. I'm saying to me, I don't give a damn. I got to go on the field and stand away from people. I'm not. 
none other than Stephen A. Smith. So, Justin Turner violated coronavirus protocols when he celebrated on the field with his Los Angeles Dodgers teammate, and he refused instructions from security to leave the field, behavior that the Major League Baseball said risked the safety of others. The commissioner's office said Wednesday that it was starting a full investigation of the 35-year-old third baseman. The Dodgers won their first World Series championship since 1988 with a 3-1 victory over the Tampa Bay Rays in in Game 6 on Tuesday at Globe Life Field. Turner was pulled from the game following the seventh inning after MLB was notified that he had tested positive for COVID-19. He was quarantined in a doctor's office, Dodgers president of baseball operations Andrew Friedman said. Turner later returned to the field wearing a mask to celebrate the Dodgers title. He then took down his mask and posed for a team photo on the field. Immediately upon receiving notice from the laboratory of a positive test, protocols were triggered, leading to the removal of Justin Turner from last night's game. Major League Baseball said in a statement Wednesday, Turner was placed into isolation for the safety of those around him. However, following the Dodgers' victory, it is clear that Turner chose to disregard the agreed-upon joint protocols and the instructions he was given regarding the safety and protection of others. While a desire to celebrate is understandable, Turner's decision to leave isolation and enter the field was wrong and put everyone he came in contact with at risk. When Major League Baseball security raised the matter of being on the field with Turner, he empathetically refused to comply. Turner is subject to discipline under an agreement between MLB and the Players Association on health and safety protocol. There is nothing specified in the agreement about the range of penalties. Commissioner's office said he would consult with the Players Association as part of his investigation. The union was in the process of gathering facts on the events. Although sources told ESPN's Buster Only that Turner could face a suspension, there was no precedent for one. Sources told Only that MLB planned to investigate whether any Dodgers officials or personnel helped facilitate Turner's return to the field. Turner became a free agent when his $64 million four-year contract expired following the victory. Turner's agent, Greg Genske, did not immediately respond to a text from the Associated Press seeking comment. On Wednesday, both teams were cleared and flew home after negative test results. Turner and his wife remained in Arlington after his wife tested negative. The source told ESPN's Jesse Rogers. In addition, the wife of an unnamed Rays player tested positive Wednesday, and she and her contacts remain in Arlington, the source said. The player tested negative and flew back with the team. Turner hit 307 with four homers and 23 RBIs in the pandemic-shortened season and 293-17 for 58 with three homers and six RBIs in postseason, including 320 with a pair of solo home homers in the World Series. Having a mask on and staying socially distanced, he wanted to come out and take a picture with the trophy, which I can't state strong enough how big of a role he's played in the success of this organization, Friedman said after Tuesday's game. But I think 
for him just being a free agent, not knowing exactly how the future is going to play out. I don't think there was anyone that was going to stop him from going out. I think from at least my perspective and not watching it super closely with everything going on. But I think he was mindful of other people, especially other people that he hadn't already been in contact with. This is something that we're going to wrap our arms around tonight and in the morning and figure out where we're going from here. Turner was visible on the field without a, without a mask during the celebration. Dodgers man today, Roberts was nearby, also not wearing a mask. I haven't seen the pictures, Friedman said. If there are people around them without masks, that's not good optics at all. I haven't seen them, so it's hard for me to speak to it specifically. But I think from our standpoint, I think the people who were around him were people that would be in contact tracing Webb anyway with just how closely a lot of us have been around each other, he said. And so, now, I think the subsequent tests we're going to take are really important to figure out what we do and to make sure that any of us are potentially positive do not spread to other people. Turner has served as a player representative on the Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Board, and he spoke out about the protocols on September 29th, one day before the Dodgers postseason opening. Obviously, there's a lot of protocols and things that we're allowed to do and not allowed to do in getting tested every day. And I would say it's been a pretty successful season getting to this point and getting to the playoffs, he said then. I was probably in that category where I was optimistic that we were going to have a season. But there was definitely some doubt whether or not it was going to happen. So to be sitting here today watching playoff baseball as the American League kind kicks off their wild card round, I would say that we did a good job and I commend everyone for taking it serious and being responsible and making good choices and allowing us to get to this point. <clears throat> he addressed the success of the of Region Royal Series despite pandemic on October 19th, the day before game one. I think it's ultimately a test to the players for being responsible and making good choices and doing everything that we had to do to ensure that the season was able to go on, he said. So I tip my cat to every player who put the uniform on and took that risk of playing and was responsible about it and did it the right way and enabled us to have a full season and now able to participate in World Series. So there's the take right there on what transpired, not in the game, but after the game oh trust me we will have some more on this because this is basically going to be my main story yes I may talk a little NFL because we have Thursday night football but we're going to get more into this World Series game because we are not through When I say we're not through, yes, coach, why did you do it? We could have been looking at game seven, but now you gave the game to the Dodgers, so we're going to talk about that. I'll come back after this break. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. Oh, we're just getting started, and we're building up a head of steam, so stay tuned.
Be right back after this word from my sponsor. Welcome back to the Train Sports Talk podcast. In this next segment, I want you to stop and think about something. How are most of your top athletes defined? Are they defined by how many strikeouts they get in their career? How many home runs they hit in their career? Or even in basketball, how many MVPs they can garner? How many scoring titles? Football, running back, rushing yards. How are the greatest players in the sports defined? Some may say it's by the number of rings. There's always an ongoing comparison between LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Even Tim Duncan's name gets mentioned. How about those great athletes that didn't get a ring, but we still look at them as great? Charles Barkley, NBA Hall of Famer. Never could get that ring. Even in the latter part of his career when he linked up with teams that might have had a possibility. He went to Phoenix. He was on some good Phoenix teams. Went to the Rockets. But that ring eluded him. Gary Payton. Carl Malone. Great players, known players, that ring has eluded them. Jim Kelly with the four Super Bowls, never could get that ring. Didn't stop him from making a trip to Canton, though. Put on that yellow jacket. Fran Tarkenton, George Foreman, even though that Minnesota football team was defined by the defense known as the Purple People Eaters. Fran Tarkenton. Chuck Foreman, not George Chuck Foreman, running back. Just to name a few. Well, now you can take a player off that list of one of the greats that hasn't won a championship. Because Clayton Kershaw, with all of his accolades, can finally add World Series championship to his name. And if he never pitched again, you can't take away from his greatness. The knock on him was great regular season, but he can't get the job done. But can I ask this question before we move farther, though? Is it all about one pitcher or is it about a staff of pitchers? Yes, Clayton Kershaw is the known commodity. But is it just about him or is it about the staff that's around him? Now I have to ask this. What would Jordan be without Pippen? What would Jordan and Pippen be without the supporting cast around there? Clayton had a staff around him. Get this. Clayton Kershaw wins first World Series title. 
was the only pitcher to win three Cy Youngs without a title. The key word is, was. Once again, that key word is, was. We could take him off the list of greats without a title because he has his. If he never pitches again, he's going into baseball's Hall of Fame as a sure first-round ballot. I've been saying, you know, World Series champs in my head over and over again just to see if it'll sink in. And um, it just – so no, I, I can't put it into words yet. I'm just so so very thankful to be a part of this group of guys, and uh, so very thankful that we get to be on the team that is bringing back a World Series to the Dodger fans after 32 years. And uh, they've waited a long time, and to get to do that, to get to be on the team that did that in LA, um, is you, can't, you couldn't ask for anything more. It's incredible. Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, World Series champion, Clayton Kershaw. Go ahead and get that ring sized up. So Clayton Kershaw was the last one to reach the infield after the final out was recorded and the Los Angeles Dodgers had finally secured the World Series championship. Kershaw lifted both arms in the air while a swarm of teammates Sprinted past him, he emerged from the right center field, right center field bullpen, lagged behind, tilted his head to the sky, and smiled in a way he never had publicly. He said, "I was trying to take it all in, as best as I could." Kershaw said, "You never really script what you're going to do or how you're going to feel, but it was a content, a content feeling, just like a." job is done we won we did it we won our race and it's over we completed our mission just feeling a contentment joy as the celebration ensued and the hugs multiply kershaw kept repeating the same phrase to himself world series champ world series champ world series champ in hopes that it would sink in by the time he addressed the media at around midnight local time, it still hadn't. But the reality was inescapable. The greatest pitcher of his era had finally attained the ultimate prize. A man relentlessly ridiculed for falling below otherworldly expectations in the postseason finally had his vindication. You want to talk about a narrative? How about being a champion. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said on the stage after a 3-1 World Series clinching victory over the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 6 on Tuesday night. He's a champion forever. Minutes later, only a few fans remaining at Globe Life Field, Kershaw's wife Ellen pointed to Section 225 on the first base side. Kershaw remains close with nine friends who grew up with him in Highland Park, which is about 20 miles away from where he 
was finally crowned a champion. Seven of them lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Another lived a five-hour drive away. They spend their winters congregating in Kershaw's sprawling Dallas home. A chunk of their summers following him around the country and most of their Octobers hanging in every single one of his pictures. The name of their group chat, Best Friends. The coronavirus pandemic created a need for the first neutral site World Series with just which just so happened to reside near Kershaw's hometown, which allowed as many as seven of those friends to watch Kershaw pitch in three postseason rounds. Kershaw often tries to find them and wave, the only connection possible in a bubble environment. On this night, the joy reached a fever pitch. All I want is for him to win a World Series, one of the members of the group, Will Skelton, said a couple of days before it finally happened. Sports don't promise justice. Sports can be very cruel. There's nobody, in my opinion, in any sport that deserves it more. And that's rooted in his work ethic, the way he treats people, his desire to deliver for the Dodgers organization, this city, as much as anybody can. He deserves it. You might recall some of these guys, Kershaw, Won his second National Cy Young Award in 2013. Six of them drove straight to his house from work. Stood around him in sweaters and khakis and looked as if they were posing for Banana Republic. Internet torched them. Barstool Sports deemed them the Mean Street Posse. And the next year, when Kershaw added an MVP to his Cy Young, they added a seventh member and leaned into the joke. The entire crew consists of Skelton, who works at Goldman Sachs, and had his second child Tuesday night, the same night Kershaw won his first World Series. Robert Shannon, a CPA who lives in Midland, Texas. Charlie Dickinson, who works in private equity real estate. John Dickinson, Charlie's identical twin brother, who handles commercial real estate. Wade Prosper, the vice president of Havis, a New York-based creative agency. John Meredith, a commercial real estate developer. Carter English, an employee benefits broker. And Ben Cardell and Patrick Halpin, both of whom work in energy. Highland Park School System funnels four elementary schools into one middle school and high school. They all met that way through sports several of them as far back as first grade one of the quotes coming from John Dickinson collecting Kershaw's childhood friend said I think we all share in the excitement and the disappointment we all feel like we're on the mound with him and we're experiencing all the emotions he is but from three levels up in the stadium. Kershaw, many said, is the glue. Even though we're all in the same age, I think all of us just sort of look up to Clayton Prosper, 32, just like Cl- just like Kershaw said, 
not for what he's accomplished, but for how he's accomplished it. Some of them joined Kershaw every summer watching Texas Rangers games along the third baseline at Globe Life Park, which still sits adjacent to the new place. Others were on his high school baseball team when Kershaw were wearing number 22 in honor of Will Clark. Six weeks ago when Major League Baseball announced a quasi-postseason bubble that consisted of a World Series in Arlington, Texas, they all thought about what it would be like to see their buddy finally win it all where he grew up. I think all of us feel like it's fate, said John Dickerson, who went on to play lacrosse at the University of Denver alongside his brother. Halpin was a corner infielder and a pitcher at Highland Park High School 14 years ago. When Kershaw started, he was a crafty lefty who threw in the upper 80s and was beginning to get letters from major college programs. But Halpin's expectations changed for Kershaw the first time he played catch with him at the beginning of his senior year. Fastball was certainly nearing the mid-90s. Major League scouts were filling in filling stands, and Kershaw's draft stock soared high enough for the Dodgers to draft him seventh overall in 2006. The nine of them navigated through college, while Kershaw matriculated through the minor leagues and established himself in the majors. They watched him when he seemed superhuman, and they watched him when back issues derailed him. Over the past two years, they watched him work tirelessly to get back some of the velocity he displayed as a high school senior. And this year, while posting a 2.16 ERA and throwing 92 miles per hour in a shortened season, they watched him tap back into stuff that seemed to be lost forever. To be honest, I really believed that it was coming. Meredith, the best man at Kershaw's wedding, said, Just knowing how hard Clayton works has always worked and continues to work throughout his career. And him making the commitment to, to take a few days away from the family and go see the driveline guys and all that, it doesn't shock me at all. Cordell looked up at the giant right field scoreboard at Globe Life Field when Kershaw's when Kershaw fired the first pitch of Game 5 on Sunday night and didn't like what he saw, he typed a message in the group text. That 91-mile-per-hour fastball is making me nervous. A second group chat manifests itself every postseason, with Ellen subbing in for Clayton. This one doesn't have a name. Kershaw's friend spent most of Game 4 thinking, They'd watch him pitch with a chance to win it all the following night. Then came the bottom of the night. A bobble by. Chris Taylor, a stumble by. Randy Arzarena, a muff by Will Smith. And the most improbable walk-off imaginable. Kershaw's friend began venting their frustration in the group that before quickly realizing they were doing so in the one Kershaw was in, they quickly switched. Under normal circumstances, the group usually takes yearly trips to watch Kershaw pitch in two regular season series, one in L.A. and another in the Royal Park, in every postseason series. 
Most of them have been there for practically every one of Kershaw's 30 postseason starts over the past dozen years, living and dying with each pitch. I don't think I've had a good night of sleep in October in like 10 years, Alvin said. I think we all share in the excitement and the disappointment, John Dickinson said. We all feel like we're on the mound with him and we're experiencing all the emotions he is, but from three levels up in the stadium. English said he spent his entire Sunday sick to his stomach knowing the stakes that awaited Kershaw in game five. With the series suddenly tied at two and the momentum seemingly on the other side. Prosper is very superstitious when Kershaw pitches. Sometimes he'll stop getting up from his couch if it is previously resort if it previously resorted in a hit. When the Rays put two on with none out in Sunday's fourth inning, it was close to 10 p.m. on the East Coast. Prosper watched from the living room of his walk-up in the West Village. I'm on. I'm on the edge of my seat, Prosper said. It's like watching a real-time thriller movie. When Manuel Margot stole second base and took third on the errant throw, Halpin's first thought was, not again. Then Kershaw induced a pop-up, recorded a strikeout, and Margot broke for home. Seven of Kershaw's closest friends, Meredith, Cardell, Halpin, Shannon, English, and Dickinson, Twins sat in a nosebleed, sat in nosebleed seats on the first base side of side that Ellen was able to reserve at the last minute. They saw the play developing before Kershaw did. Him to have the wherewithal to step off the rubber and then throw it just instinctively that quick. All of us were going nuts, English said, and we're all spread out from each other. So we're all just kind of looking at each other and freaking out. It was the whole swing of emotions, bro. Kershaw went on to retire the next five batters. Roberts walked out to the dugout to take the baseball away from him. Two outs in the sixth inning. Kershaw's friends were upset. Some of them thought he might make it through the seventh. Halpin slammed his cap to the ground while a stadium with 11,437 fans booed. When the emotions subsided, Cardell thought back to all those times when Kershaw was left in the game a little too long. We've seen the alternate scenario, Cardell said, and this was way better. After it was over and the Dodgers captured a 4-2 victory that put them one win away from a championship, Kershaw won two games in the same postseason series for the first time in his career. Congratulatory messages began to fill the best friends chat. His friends keep them short because they know Kershaw gets inundated in those moments. Somebody later also sent a link to the news conference that Kershaw's two oldest, Callie and Charlie, took over. English noted something about Kershaw then. It was just cool to see how relieved he seemed. English said it looked like a weight off his shoulders. And there is much more to that, but we have so much more to get to. So, this moment, what I'm going to do, 
I am going to go ahead and take me another break. And when I come back, I'll have some more for you. So stay tuned. The A Transports Talk podcast. The train is still building up ahead of steam. Be right back. So we welcome you back to another segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hope you're enjoying it. And there is so much more we can get into the aftermath of the World Series, but I know there is more to get to and we're going to do that like right now. Because tonight is Thursday night, which also means that there is Thursday night football tonight. But what we want to do, what I want to do, what I want to do. is look at story says it's two a time it's two a time as you know Ryan Fitzpatrick has been replaced He was heartbroken. He was sad. He thought this team was his. So, the question is, what can we expect from Tua moving forward? What can we expect? Well, let's find out. ...over a team that suddenly finds itself very much in the hunt to win the AFC East. And they bench a very hot quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick to do it. So my opinion is this. There is more pressure on Tua Tungavailoa to play well the rest of this season than there is on Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert combined. Because there are no moral victories for a team in the thick of a race. Let me bring the guys in and see if anyone wants to change my mind. Let me see. I'm looking at Jeff's face. Uh, Do you want to change my mind on that, Jeff, Saturday? Heck yeah, I want to change your mind. I love how you laid it in thick, Joe. I mean, you know what I mean? It's it's the right to crush the playoff. There's this, there's that. Here's the truth of it. The truth of it, this is a feel-good story right now, right? Tua comes back last week for the first time, throws his first two passes. This guy, his career was almost ended with the hip injury. The Dolphins are still rebuilding and still moving forward. They are playing well as a football team. But but make no make no uh, no no great expectations in this football team in my opinion. I think they're looking for consistency. And again, we the, the problem with Tua is you haven't seen anything. They haven't brought him in. They have to bring him in so you can at least see what you have and get this kid built up. Because we don't know he may give you a better chance 
to win the playoffs this year if what they're seeing in practice translates to the game field. <laughs> Jeff, you're hot, to use your word, all right? Seriously, because it's the more pressure is the bigger the shoes. And you met, you mentioned it, man. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing out of his mind. And by the way, the team is playing hard for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So to win over the veterans and to do all these other things, if things start to go a little sideways, that's going to be really difficult on Tua and difficult on the staff to say, hey, Lo, we're playing for the future. So I think Greeny's totally onto this because the expectation level for the Chargers and for the Bengals this year is essentially non-existent. And uh, it was non-existent for the Dolphins, but they've clearly found themselves the last few weeks of the season. So it's officially Tua time for the Miami Dolphins. Former Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, the number five overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, will get his first career start when Miami faces Los Angeles Rams on Sunday night. What can we expect from the talented lefty in his first full game? What are his strengths, and how will they impact the offseason? What areas will be under a close eye. Let's take a closer look at what Tucker Viola brings to the table, including what I'm looking for from the former Crimson Tide star. And while we're at it, how have Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert looked through the first few weeks of their careers? Let's also check in on two first-year QBs who already have starting action. Here's a brief outlook on Tug of Viola's debut as the Dolphins starter in a roundup of how the other two rookie signal callers have performed thus far. Well, first of all, you have to understand that this was the Dolphins' plan all along. It's clear that regardless of how well or how poorly Ryan Fitzpatrick played, Tug of Viola was going to be the guy once the team deemed him ready. And despite some strong play from Fitzpatrick, his 80.6 total QBR rate, QBR is tied for six NFL in the NFL, and the team's three and three start. I guess they figured we got a bye week, we can get this kid prepared, and let's move forward. But I still question is the timing right. Is the timing right? Because what happens if you put this rookie in and then things go south? Yeah, you can say we're building for the future. But just like, well, I can reference this. Just like Kevin Cash took his ace out and then it gave the Dodgers new life. You got a hot hand. And until, and yes, I, I heard Rex Ryan talking the other day saying that 
you don't know what you're going to get with Fitzpatrick. Or he said you may get Fitz Magic, you may get Fitz Tragic. Well, until he shows you Fitz Tragic, ride with it. Because this can now either make or break your season. Maybe someone should have spoke with Kevin Cash and see how that turned out. So, the verdict is still out. Looking forward to seeing this kid play in his first start. And let's see how the rest of the season plays out for the Miami Dolphins. Hopefully, this kid has the same support from the veterans that Ryan Fitzpatrick had. Anyway, we're moving right along. And looks like here, Big Ben and the Heisman winner, sizing up QBs in NFL's best division. You know, I think for a lot of people, Ben, they're, they're excited to see you play. And, and the, the biggest thing is they want to know is, how's your elbow? Well, I'm excited to play, too. Um, you know, the elbow feels really good. Uh, I'm excited to, to go out there and test it in the game, you know, situation. So uh, that's the one kind of last hurdle is um, what's it feel like to get hit again and, and what's it feel like to throw in a game situation. Let's go back to that moment. What, what do you remember about the day, the, that last play, just kind of the, the, the entire um, drama and, and uh, intensity of, of that time? What, do you, what, what stands out to you? Yeah, it actually was the week before in New England. Um, you know, warming up, I just kind of felt some discomfort, which I've felt many times. And usually through adrenaline, getting warmed up, it goes away. And um, it just never really kind of left. And so um, didn't really think much of it. And, and then you go into the, the week of preparation for Seattle and you go out there and it feels okay. It doesn't feel great, but it feels all right. And um, then at the end of that half, I remember um, one of the one throw, I just felt a lot different, uh, different than it ever felt before. And um, didn't, once again, just kind of shake it off and keep going. And uh, I threw a deep one down the right sideline to Juju. Um, and, and that was um, a big deal. Like it felt off. It felt wrong. Um, it hurt a lot more than it ever had. And it just, you know, you know your body. You know, you're, you're, you just feel different things. And I felt something different. And I, I think I had to throw one more pass to get out of the series. And um, luckily it was a, sh a short one. And um, just, you know, going to the sideline, just knowing that something wasn't right. When, when you realized the magnitude, you visited with the doctors, you had basically two options. You know, it was either don't have surgery and retire or have the surgery and, and have a, a long process back. Talk about when they told you that, what you and your wife and your kind of your support group, what you guys went through to come to the decision to, to have the surgery. Yeah, it was a tough phone call to get from Dr. Bradley, um, basically laying out two options. And, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's don't have to do anything and retire and, and not play football again. I could probably throw, play, catch with the kids in the backyard, but I'll never 
you know, be an NFL quarterback throwing balls again. And, um, or I can go have surgery and I'm going to miss the year. And most likely I'll be able to come back because they had never really had this happen before. So they weren't sure, but I get to play again. And, um, you know, thought about it for 30 seconds or so. My wife thought about it a little longer and, um, it was like, let's go. I, I just didn't feel like I was done. I feel like I still have more to give this game and give this city. I uh, still want to win trophies for this city. So um, I just I felt like I could, I could do it. And that was Big Ben, who has his Pittsburgh Steelers as now the only undefeated team in the NFL. But it seems as if the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't getting any love so when it comes to the best division in football few can compete with the arms race in the AFC North when the NFL season began it became the first division ever to start three Heisman Trophy winners to open a season nearly halfway through the 2020 season Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow, along with two-time Super Bowl champion Ben Roethlisberger, have their teams reaching for the record books once again. Roethlisberger has rebounded from last year's season-ending elbow injury and has guided the Pittsburgh Steelers 6-0 to their best start since 1978. Jackson has helped the Baltimore Ravens to a 5-1 mark for the third time in franchise history matching the starts of their two Super Bowl championship teams, 2000 and 2012. Mayfield has lifted the Cleveland Browns to a 5-2 record, which hasn't happened since Bill Belichick was the coach there in 1994. Burrow has produced only one victory for the Cincinnati Bengals, 1-5-1. But this year's number one overall pick in the NFL draft is on pace to become the league's most prolific rookie passer. Overall, the AFC North has the second best win percentage by division's top three teams, 16-3.842 through week seven since the 1970 merger, according to research by ESPN's Stats and Information. The only division that was better was 1975 AFC Central, which featured the Steelers, Bengals, and Orders, all winning 10 games. Here's a look at how these quarterbacks will shape the AFC North going forward. What has your quarterback done this far? What kind of first half has he had? So we look at Ravens. Jackson's playmaking ability has carried an offense that isn't as strong along the offensive line and hasn't received much from the wide receivers. He's just in a difficult situation because he isn't playing at last season's off-the-chart MVP level. Jackson remains a special dual threat, ranking 10th in QBR, 76.1, and first in rushing, average 6.9. But he's regressed as a passer and hasn't been crisp in throwing the ball. Jackson is 26th in completion rate, 63%, and 27th in passing yards, 1,135. If Jackson can become a more consistent passer, Baltimore will be extremely dangerous.
the Bengals, the top overall pick in the 2020 draft, has established himself as a top as a top candidate to be the league's offensive rookie of the year. Burrow is on pace to shatter Andrew Luck's record for most passing yards as a rookie. 4,374 in 2012, and is coming off his first 400-yard performance in the NFL. But more important, Burrow is steadily showing improvement in how he sees the field and has naturally stepped into a key leadership role. Now that takes us to the Steelers and Big Ben. It's hard to overstate the kind of Pittsburgh or Roethlisberger 38 has had this season. The Steelers are undefeated, and his return is a big reason for that. Before Sunday, the veteran had thrown only one interception. He threw three more against the Titans, but only one was the product of a poor decision. His surgically repaired elbow is holding up, and he isn't showing any signs of slowing down. He's also showing a willingness to work on his deficiencies, taking extra time to practice his footwork and build relationships with his younger receivers and throw at stacked trash cans to improve the placement of his deep ball. Leads us to the Browns and of course Baker Mayfield. Mayfield's first half has been up and down, especially since against AFC North competition. With a pair of sterling performances against the Bengals and rough outings against the Ravens and Steelers. Altogether, though, he has improved from his dismal 2019 season and currently ranks inside the top 10 in the league in QBR. Mayfield will need to show more against somebody other than the Bengals if he is to prove he still, in fact, Cleveland's quarterback of the future. So the question could be is what one concern, what is one cause for concern or troubling trend you have observed about QBs and why? Well, the lack of a deep passing game in the case of Baltimore. Defense are going to drop safeties and load up the box to stop the Ravens running game until Jackson makes teams for his ability to throw over the top of them. On passes of 15 yards in the air or longer, Jackson's 14 completions ranked 26 in the NFL and his 36.8 completion percentage is 27. Baltimore has the potential to stretch the field. Jackson's frequently hit speedy wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown on long throws in training camp. It just hasn't happened as often in the regular season. And this has to become among the Ravens' top priorities on offense moving forward. So what's that same concern with the Bengals and Joe Burrow? Burrow's biggest issue has been his knack for holding on to the ball for a little too long. His tendency to let a play drag out as he looks for a receiver downfield has played a role in a number of his sacks and is something he's readily admitted. At LSU, Burrow was known for his ability to extend plays, and that was one of the reasons the Bengals loved him during the pre-draft process. However, he still finds the balance between the risk and reward 
in the NFL. So, that same question being posed was the concern in Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger's passes are being tipped at the line of scrimmage more often this season, including one against the Titans that led to an interception. That's a product of the RPO, Roethlisberger said Wednesday. And while there's not ideal, and while that's not ideal, the quarterback said he isn't concerned. The ball is going to have to come out quick because it's a run kind of play, Roethlisberger said. You have to get the ball out quick. Sometimes the blocking is not there. Sometimes when you're throwing a lot of the underneath stuff, a quick route, the ball has to come out of your hands quick, and it's going to obviously be a lower pass. Coach Mike Tomlinson says all the time, if you're not going to get home, get your hands up. I think that's what we are seeing a lot of from defenders when they think they're not going to get home or they think the ball is going to come out quick. They're just getting their hands up. That's creating some tip balls, but we're not too alarmed with it yet. So now that moves us on to concerns for Cleveland. Mayfield has really struggled against better blitzing defenses. On October 18th against the Steelers, for example, he went just two of six passing against the blitz for 11 yards and an interception. He also took three sacks, a career high for him against the blitz. Mayfield was much better against the Bengals on Sunday, going to 6 of 8, passing for 94 yards and a touchdown with the one pick against the Blitz. Cincinnati's Blitz, however, is rather toothless. Future defensive opponents with more prolific pass rushers are sure to study the Pittsburgh film. So, what would be the most telling fact of the quarterback's performance thus far? Well, for Lamar Jackson, it would be the completion rate. Jackson is 4-0 when he connects on more than 30, on more than 55% of his throws. It's been a barometer for success throughout his three-year career. He's 22-1 as a starter when completing more than 55% of his passes. And he's 3-3 three and three when he fails to do so. This shows that Baltimore wins as much with Jackson's efficiency play as his electric moves. So with Joe Burrow, it would be Burrow leads the league in passing attempts and completion, which indicates that the Bengals are putting on his plate as a rookie with no preseason or OTAs. Burrow has responded by throwing for 2,022 yards, which ranked third in the NFL behind only Matt Ryan and Deshaun Watson. Burrow's completion percentage is 5.1% over the expected rate according to NFL next-gen stats data. So he's been effective despite all the attempts. Roethlisberger, air yards are way down from previous seasons. He's averaging 6.68 air yards for the season, the lowest through the Steelers' first six games of a season since he's, since the stat was first tracked in 2006. That doesn't mean that Roethlisberger can't throw the deep ball with his repaired elbow. 
It just means the Steelers are running a different kind of offense than in previous seasons. Roethlisberger is getting the ball out of his hands fast, throwing quick slant passes, and letting his playmakers do the work. And that will we will close it out with the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Against the Bengals, Mayfield is 5-1 and one in his career with a scintillating combined QBR of 87. But against everybody else, he's just 12-18 and 18 with a QBR of only 51. Beating up on the Bengals won't be enough for Mayfield if he's to become a top half of the league quarterback. So far in his career, Mayfield is just 5-12 against opponents above 500 with a QBR of just 46. That isn't good enough. So there you have some NFL take. So. Check back with me again. Because. Uh, I'm going to. Put the brakes on this train. But the weekend is on the way. We will have recap from. Thursday night NFL. Get you ready for high school football Friday as the playoffs begin. And tell you what you can expect for games in your area. Also, <clears throat> Friday, when I do my next podcast, I'm liable to do two because one is probably most likely to be the Friday football blitz, which will be the scores from the games that were played. So, get a double dose on Friday. You'll you get the... Uh, preview and then you get the recap so looking forward to being with you twice on tomorrow but until the next time enjoy the enjoy yourself kick back enjoy tonight's thursday night football game and i'm pretty sure there's a lot that i didn't get to but i just don't want to bore you that long so i hope that that i provided you i hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed so until next time this is your conductor the a the conductor of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, Anthony Smith. Keeping in mind that this train is always building up steam. I always encourage you to get your ticket and enjoy the ride because you never know what journey this train is going to take you. Until next time, take care of yourself. God bless.